So welcome to Enlightened World Network and Author's Corner. My name is Kevin Schaininger, and I'm an author and teacher of mind-body training, including mindfulness, meditation, Qigong, and Reiki. And I'm very pleased to introduce you to Stephen Altair. So welcome, Stephen. Hello, Kevin. Lovely to be here, truly. Thank you. So Stephen is a teacher, healer, musician, mystic, author, and he teaches a way of love and unity and harmony for the new Gaia, which we are co-creating. And I've had the pleasure to get to know Stephen a several weeks. I'm just uh, excited to uh, learn more about you, to learn more from you, and uh, just to be with you, to be present with you. It's, it's an honor. Thank you. And for me too, Kevin, truly a, a deep honor. I'm very grateful to be here. Oh, thank you. So, Stephen, your latest book is Diary of a Yogi, A Book of Awakening. And um, the moment I got this book, I was reading a book called Rainbow Body and Resurrection. And I heard the doorbell ring and I went and I got the package where your book was and I opened it up and I set the other book down on the couch and I opened it and started reading. And within a few pages, I read about Rainbow Body and the Light Body and I just said, oh, this is meant to be. This is meant to be that I'm reading this book. And then as I continued to read, I was just amazed at the astounding variety of practices that you have been a part of, that you've studied, that you've practiced, and that you weave together. And I also, um, that's something that I've done myself. So I really resonated with that approach to things. I've uh, never been one who was like, here's the way or the highway. It's not this and not that. It's all of these practices, all of these traditions are speaking a perennial wisdom. And uh, that really resonated with me from your book. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about some significant moments in your life that led you along your path and gave you, uh, brought you to Diary of a Yogi? Yeah, sure. And, and look, thank you for that. And thank you for supporting the, the many practices that all the great masters and gurus and extraordinary souls have brought to this planet to help us awaken. Because like yourself, I really have explored deeply in many of the great traditions and found their practices to lead to the same one light, the same one shared heart, the yes. same one presence and awakening so you know it's it's, it's as if we're all um part of this one extraordinary diamond many faceted diamond consciousness and we come to it from different angles but we all end up at the same point and i think when i when i knew i was going to be interviewed by you i was particularly excited because i'd read your book clear quiet mind and i'd had the same sort of experiences i experienced through the many practices i'd done and I, I've shared with you practices like Reiki and Tai Chi, you know, deep practices of, of, of awakening and meditation, you know, time and stillness, out alone in nature. I, 
I'd had those same experiences. So reading your book and contemplating my book and the energies and the consciousness that are contained in both, I was really, it created a lot of joy. It gave me a lot of deep um, interconnectedness and interbeing. Yes. You know, often I feel on this planet, we, we're really here to learn how to reach out and touch each other's hearts and to connect with the beauty in each other's hearts and the beauty of our different perspectives too, rather yeah. than seeing the division in them, rather than talking about, well, one way is the right way. It's to see the multiplicity of perspectives and see that as just, that's all it is. They are just perspectives and they all lead us home and they all touch us in the same one shared heart. So that deep, you know, compassion and sense of um, understanding and that, that interbeing to me is such an important part of being alive and honoring this precious human life that I share, that you share, that everybody else shares. Yes. So, so the, you know, those, those significant moments, um, one of them was a, a dream when I was a very little fellow, when I was just two years old, I had a recurring dream uh, from when I was two to when I was three, it was exactly the same dream every night. Every single night I woke up screaming. I can remember the dream as vividly as me doing my teeth this morning. The, the dream was uh, obviously put there for a reason. It was a sign in my life. But at that time, my consciousness was not awake enough to separate out from the, the fear of what happened in the dream. And instead, I, I woke every night screaming and my parents thought that I was an epileptic they thought perhaps I had epilepsy mm. and they, from the ages of two to three I went through a multiplicity of hospital tests doctors specialists people trying to find out what was wrong with me so mm. from that early age there, there was something where I thought okay by having this sort of experience whatever it was maybe there is something wrong with me. And there's a certain amount of doubt that comes in when you've got a lot of specialists saying, well, there's something wrong, but we don't know what it is. Uh, whereas in fact, the dream was very simple. And in the dream, I was dressed in robes, a bit, a bit like the, this, is, this is a Samway robe I'm wearing. It's a monk's robe from Japan. In the dream I was wearing, I can remember it very clearly, an ochre kind of robe, um, that belonged to some other culture from me at that time. I was born in New Zealand. I'm a Maori Hawaiian by birth, and I was, I had no experience whatsoever of um, uh, Tibet or any, in fact, any monk at that point, other than our um, family parish priest. I was brought up a Catholic, and so my only experience was going to church. I, we didn't have television. My, my life was pretty, I, I would say it was, <laughs> It was pretty uh, simple in that sense. Um, and I, here I was, waking up in the middle of the night, dressed in these ochre robes, walking across a bridge. And on the bridge, <clears throat> something really dramatic happened. There was all sorts of chaos and confusion happening around me. And yet I felt uh, a, a presence. I still remember at that time in the dream, I felt an extraordinary... Uh, depth of being there like I knew I was in this place and I and, and it, 
it, some, in some cases I looked at it from above and in some cases I was right there in the person. It's kind of the perspective slightly changed from night to night, but the, the actual events were the same. And then I was always with somebody else. I was with someone who was in the same state of confusion about what was happening around me. And yet I knew, I knew I'd done something that, that helped me to keep this presence. And then suddenly I would be tossed off this bridge and I would fall into a space, a chasm. Um, in the book, I've descri described it like a river, and, and I believe it was a river in some senses, but the, the actual feeling was falling into a vast chasm because I was dying. So I knew that I was dying in the dream. I even knew in my little two to three-year-old self that something awful was happening to me if you, if, from that point of view. Now, certainly now I'm, I, I understand that the death and change is a transition, but at that point it was very frightening. And I, so I would lurch off and I'd fall. Now, as I fell, that was where something completely different happened in my being. Um, when I fell, I would start to scream. However, at the point of my screaming, a vast voice, a sound, and that sound to, still today, it sounds to me like that, sounded like an enormous, Ohm, filling the space and there was a presence of light and I didn't I, I couldn't put any of this in any kind of context as a two or a three-year-old I just knew something dramatic was happening there was this vast voice there was this light there was um, a, a, a radical change in from standing on the bridge to whatever happened afterwards and I would wake screaming in a sweat and uh, the, no specialist was ever really looked at the content of the dream. At that point, they were more operating on the fact that I, I was dreadfully scared um, and that I woke up in a cold sweat and that something was happening in my brain that they didn't understand. So that, um, it, was, it was after, oh, it would have been a good year of tests. And I can still remember looking into some of these machines and... Oh being asked at a very young age, you know, what is this image? And they'd show me the image of a, a dog and a person with a dog. And I was thinking, this has got no connection to what I'm experiencing. You know, and they would ask me to describe what I think would happen next, or was I experiencing in this side of the eye, or was I looking, you know, there was all sorts of these really quite meaningless tests for me at that time. <laughs> and, uh, at the end of a good year or so of this, one woman, a female doctor, said, have you ever tried taking all his clothes off, all the blankets, just leaving him on the bed, like naked, basically, um, and, and seeing if that will cool his body temperature down so he can sleep? My parents did that that night, and the dream stopped. And what it did do is it awoke a really deep curiosity in me as to where did this come from? What? What was that that I experienced for an entire year? And it was exactly the same dream every single night. And it was, and my mum talked to me a lot about the dream. She actually had an experience prior to that when she was a teenager, when she met a uh, Maori elder in an orchard, uh, when she was just a teenager. And the Maori elder actually told her about me and my past lives and about what I'd experienced. But she never told me about that until uh, just a few months before she passed away. I think 
you know, to her credit, and I mean, it does move me when I think of my mum because she's such a glorious soul. Um, she, to her credit, she didn't want to influence my life by telling me the things that the Maori elder had told me before before it was too, if, if, I think if I'd known that as a very young person, maybe it would have done something entirely different, different for me. Maybe I would have gone straight to a Tibetan path and got locked into that. Whereas as it was, she left the curiosity open and she didn't kind of translate anything for me. She didn't tell me about her experience as a teenager and, and receiving these visions and, and my path. In fact, a lot of messages from my, my path until just a few months um, before she died. So, you know, I, I really do thank her for that because the curiosity that was awakened at such a young age meant that I, I kept saying to my um, parents, and it makes sense to me now, but when I was four, I kept saying, I, I, I want to learn Japanese. I, I want to learn a different language. And I, the only reason I said Japanese, I had no experience of Tibet at that point. Um, I didn't even know where it was. I only knew <laughs> knew that... Uh, my next door neighbor, who uh, sorry, not my next door neighbor, a very near neighbor who was a very good friend of mine, his uh, next door neighbor was a Japanese woman and they took me to meet her once. And when I looked at the art, she had a, 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 you know, different wall hangings and symbols and she was, she was um, her expertise was in tea making. And tea making, if you've ever been to Japan and you know the the type of presence and awareness that's brought into the tea ceremony. So she yes. did this for me when I, so it would have been after I had the dreams and before I was four, she did the tea ceremony. And I just said to my mum, I want to learn Japanese. I want to learn about this. <laughs> and mum said, my mum said, why? And I said, I don't know. I just curious. I need to know. <laughs> so I went and learned Japanese at a very young age and I learned about tea ceremony and from her I learned the beginnings of Zen and the beginnings of Zazen or mindful meditation but in a very simple way for a little fellow it was just to sit still mm -hmm. before the tea ceremony and just to simply take in some of the uh, presence of, of being still before uh, she did the tea ceremony. So I still remember that and that those searching that searching process led me to a great deal of curiosity in in paths like Tibetan Buddhism and Kriya Yoga and mindfulness practice and Zen and the esoteric paths of Christian mystics and the paths of Hindu saints and and so on. so and, and Sufi mystics and so on. I, I became very interested at a very young age what what was this experience that I'd had and how could anybody explain it? Um, in the Christian church that I was part of, and it was a Catholic church, I then became aware that people kind of followed what the priest said, but that in terms of what Jesus spoke about, and I was particularly taken by words like, you know, I am the, the, the light of the world. Think, well, what does that mean? And, and a particular phrase, that um, I've heard you use and that I use a lot is that, you know, for those people that come after me, they will do much greater works than I. And I thought to myself, but where are those instructions? How do I learn about that? I, I've, I can read the stories of mystics and understand that they've been through that process. So where is it? 
and I asked the priest and the priest would just say things like, oh, you know, the, that's, that's those saints, saints have that kind of experience, but we, we follow catechism, we follow the, the, the rules of the Bible and that's where we find our instruction. But that really didn't satisfy me. I, uh, I, I became very close in, in heart space to Saint Therese of Lisieux. I discovered when I, that my own birthday was the same birthday as her sister, Pauline. And I, I actually had a, an experience when I was around six of being in Saint Therese of Lisieux's house as her sister. And it did, that didn't make any sense to me really as a six-year-old why I would be experiencing somebody else's life and some and and I'm, I'm not even trying to suggest that I have any connection in in terms of past lives to any any of the people that I mentioned but I was able to turn into the consciousness of being there and it was a purely spontaneous experience I was praying really deeply one day to Therese Saint Therese uh, of Liso because I loved it a bit I just couldn't get enough of her books and her prayers and I, I just I just was so devoted I from a very young age I've had a very deep and, and, and very sincere devotion to the saints and to the mystic I, I, I just love them like, love them like my family and so and I read all their books from you know very young age I, I read I read a lot of things I read everything from the Odyssey to Lord of the Rings to all the mystic books from Saint Teresa of, of Avila Saint Teresa of Lisieux Saint John of the Cross um, Saint Catherine of Siena. I just I just absorbed Saint Ignatius of Loyola you know I did did all their spiritual practice when I was very young. I wanted to find out where were these instructions that Jesus had left, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> where are they? Please. I was, you know, begging the saints to, to just come in front of me. And I think that, that you know, as they talk about in Hinduism, that bhakti or, or devotion really helped me to connect in, in a visionary way to the same experiences that the saints and mystics were having. Um, so next door to me at that stage, there was, um, a, a, a beautiful alchemist and I didn't know that at the time. Um, and she was, I, I was every day, I think as a, you know, young boy of eight or nine, I was entranced by this lady that lived next door that seemed to glide across pathways. I, I was, I think I was convinced she could fly or something like that, <laughs> that young and tender age. So. Um, and I was, she was my curiosity benefactor. Any questions I had, you know, we had a fence between the two houses. I'd talk across the fence. I'd say, oh, you know, can, can you tell me anything about the, you know, the Bible and Jesus? Are there any other ways that, that I can learn it? And she'd say, oh, perhaps you could look at the Gnostic Gospels or, you know, and, and so on. And then one day, uh, I think I was around 12 at this point, and, and I was really quite, um, frustrated with that the answers I was getting and in fact I'd gone across to the church and I'd said to the priest in a very you know robust sort of brave way um, look if you're not going to give me any answers I'm going to look elsewhere <laughs> you know <laughs> and he said he said you don't want to do that you know <laughs> that means you're going to leave the church and I said no no I I really need answers I said I need I'm not getting them from 
from I mean, I still I still remember I I'd made a special appointment with him, um, and it was so funny at that at that stage because I used to host host yeah host um, mass for my family. So I took the mass. I wasn't satisfied with the way the church was doing it. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to have mass every every day and, and every weekend at my um, home. So a number of things happened at the age of 12. I, I told the priest that I was no longer going to be coming to church. Um, I read a book called Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, which really translates Stephen Dedalus, the the artist and the mystic. I, I felt just like him. I thought this is this is this is written for me, um, <laughs> and um, I also spoke to my next door neighbour, uh, and her name is Susie. She's a, just a remarkable soul. She's been my guardian angel forever, and uh, I said to her, "I want to learn about magic, about the instructions of Jesus, about saints and mystics, and you know to." Uh, I mean, again, it just touches me because she held, um, sorry, excuse me, Mike. Um, she held that pivotal key. So she held the key in the form of two books. She took me into her house and she gave me um, a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. Yes. And honestly, yes. That book changed my life. And at the same time, she gave me the Kabbalion. And the Kabbalion has a set of alchemical or hermetic principles, um, like the principle of polarity, the principle of correspondence and so on, that I read these two books in unison. At the same time, I was starting to do yoga and my dad, had a bet with me that all this stuff, this yoga and yoganata, whoever they were, you know, that it wasn't science. My dad was a trained scientist. He managed a hospital unit. And my mum actually was a head nurse of another hospital. So I, I, I would say to my friends, I was in and out of hospitals all my life. And they'd say, well, you're <laughs> and I was helping my, helping my folk, <laughs> helping my parents. Um, so the, uh, so my dad said, you're reading this, what, what, what is this book? And he, he read a little bit of it and he said, oh, it's all just, you know, it's just, isn't it made out? It's just, just stuff that happens to be, it's not, not real. It's, I said, well, I said, tell you what, I said, I'm going to be doing yoga and I'm going to be meditating right up until I'm age 99. And he said, I'll make you a bet, a dollar. You won't, you're going to drop this in a few years. It's just, it's just a passing phase. And I said, no, I'll take that on. Now, my father's passed away. He won't be around to collect. But here I am still now, you know, 40-odd years on from there. And I'm still... He, it, the bet was that I'd do it every night and every morning. So, you know, with great gratitude to my father, I do believe he was, a, without knowing, he was an inspiring <laughs> force in my life to bring me on the path and to say, you know, I'm going to give you the discipline. And it might be in the form of a $1 coin bet. But, you know... This is how we're going to do it. He put a challenge to you. Sorry? He put a challenge to you. Yes, he did. <laughs> we must have made some sort of soul contract or something. So all these things happened around the age of 12 or 13. And they were incredibly transformative because they gave me uh, a really deep insight into, you know, a, a way, a path. And when I read Autobiography of a Yogi, that truly did touch me in a very deep way and 
at that stage when I read it, I thought very much from, from reading, I thought, I'm gonna write a book like this one day. Mm-hmm. And at exactly the same stage, uh, uh, one of my favorite English teachers at the time, uh, well, in fact, one of my favorite teachers in life, and again, he put the seed in, he, his name was Mr. Lake, he's a beautiful fellow, he, he saw something in me and he said, you've, you've got the ability to be a writer, can you actually do something for me? And he said, I want you to take any, any book, uh, preferably a fiction book, and I said, well, well okay, I'll, I'll take James Michener, The Drifters, and he said, um, can you write to me like that and about that and maybe not in a review but just just like a conscious just a stream of consciousness stuff whatever comes so i wrote that for him and he said this is brilliant he said you're going to be a writer you're going to be a writer and and so that seed was played you know susie and my mom and my dad and yogananda and the kabbalion and my english teacher they all planted the same sorts of seeds uh, which was giving me the courage to look at what it might be to walk a mystical path at, and, and, and explore it. And I, so from the, that particular time, the age of 12 or 13, as I describe in the book Diary of a Yogi, I went through a, a, a lot of different stages and disciplines, practicing, practicing, practicing. I mean, one of the keys I would say is to anybody that listens or, or reads um, the book is it's so important to practice. If you do something and then drop it, then really you, you haven't gone to any real depth in the practice. And you may not find out what it means to truly sit and embrace it and be with that. Because in fact, the same uh, practice that, for example, you find if you do Yogananda's Kriya Yoga, that kind of discipline allows you then to approach all the obstacles that come in your life and apply the same perseverance and love and devotion and embrace of those obstacles. Because the practices, you know, that you share in your book, Clear Quiet Mind, and that I share, although mine is not really such a sharing of practice, it's more a sharing of an energy in in my book. There is another book that I've... Uh, that I'm halfway through called Diary of the Yogi Portals of Presence, which describes the specific practices. So this book is, this book is more a journey, a visionary journey, in, uh-huh. in the hope that people reading it will think, I can do this too. I can yes. explore my life with the same curiosity. I can follow my dream, whatever it is. I can value and honor and cherish my path. I don't have to be like anybody else. I don't have to take this path and say oh well so-and-so told me that this is the only way because in fact we all are so unique and this human life is so precious that to embrace it from the outset and really honor all the sacred teachings that come into your path when, when you when you feel connected in the heart with them is such a is such a joyous thing to perceive so that's you know, that's the kind of message that I, I want to give through the book Diary of Yogi is, you know, follow your dreams, you know, trust your path, um, work with the simple presence and foundation that you're given in your life and honor it, honor it deeply and, and practice, practice, practice. I, I think the, you know, I, I've, I, I've often, when I've given talks, spoken about, uh, 
a process, a three-step process of the, the ground, the path, and the fruit. And, and really, where, where we come from is, is the, our ground. And that ground can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In my case, the ground was I, my, my curiosity led me into a deep understanding of presence and that when I was really still, there was an awakened presence that was like a witness, a witnessing presence that was there all the time. And when I was very busy, I would often miss that. But when I was able to slowly and calmly be present, that, pre that deep inner presence was there. So that's kind of my ground. That was the ground I discovered. So the curiosity from that very early dream led me to establishing a foundation or a ground of presence. Now from that ground of presence, and, and whatever way people come to that, that could mean all sorts of different things. It could be through prayer or silence or stillness or nature or meditation. It could be love in a relationship. It could be some other kind of awakening. But when that ground is there, that, that really simple, still presence, then the path becomes really so much clearer because every step of the way, if you come across then a book like Diary of a Yogi, for example, uh, like, uh, like Autobiography of a Yogi, as I um, did with Yogananda, then you read it from that presence and you take the beauty that's in that book and you apply it to your own life in whatever way. If you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim, it, it, it doesn't matter because you uh, are taking the ground and you're working with the path in that way. And then the fruits, or in some case, some traditions call them the cities or the powers, they are, they are really the second part. They're, they're not the most important part. The important part is to, to work with the ground so that you can actually see the path clearly. And then the cities or fruits can be any one of a number of remarkable things and also very ordinary, the miracle in the ordinary moments of your life. So the times that I've gone to the train station and I stood there and I might have woken up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm feeling a, a little bit agitated and then suddenly I'm there and I look at the morning and I remember to breathe and I'm back. That, that, that foundation, that presence is right there. And those, those miracles in those ordinary moments are really the, the, the jewel, the jewel in the stone. I call them the Chintamani stone or the, the precious jewel in the teachings that our lives are. Because our lives are really like a, a sacred terma. When I, I studied with um, Sogyal Rinpoche and took an initiation in Padmasambhava's path, which is a really beautiful path of awakening. And um, the, that, that jewel is the, same, uh, is the same ground, path, and fruit that I'm talking about. That jewel they, they talk about is to be able to be present in your moment, to be in every moment, to be able to be still, to be able to be calm, to be able to be present. And so when I had I'd done um, practice Yogananda's work for many, many years, and I practiced um, the, part, the Tibetan Buddhist path for many, many years, and I'd followed the paths of the mystics for many, many years. And I thought, 
they, they're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about presence, about weak awakening, about a clear, quiet mind, about the beauty of this precious human existence, of the yes. light, the light that's awakened in our hearts. So I, I think, you know, I'm just in awe of life. <laughs> I really, truly am in awe of life and in the people around, around me. I, I practice every single day seeing you, Kevin, as a bodhisattva, as a Buddha. I practice that with every single person. If, if somebody does something to me that maybe I didn't like, I mean, a good example is I remember one day a, a businessman just angled at me and just decided to walk straight into me and didn't apologize. And I caught that frustration coming up in me. It's like a firefly dancing and I caught it. And then as it was just before it emerged, I sat with it and it transformed. It didn't, it didn't come out as anger or frustration. It came out as his still calm being. And I, I thought, ah, I, I can see the Bodhisattva in that man. He's tired, angry, restless, irritable. I really can feel his suffering. And I also understand that he might have looked at me as the only foreign person on the platform, decided I was a good target for his day. And that, that was exactly what happened. I, I don't need to pass any judgment on it. I, it was just a pure observation of something that happened and it helped me to understand people's hearts. So I, I try to practice seeing the, this, this world as like a Buddha field, as a vast planet filled with light and filled with Buddha, Buddhas and gods and goddesses and people who maybe haven't awoken to their path yet, but if they haven't, then I can do something about that. I can be a little more gracious or a little kinder or a little softer or be just a little bit more present for them. Or in some cases, actually say, you know, stop. I need to connect with you. I need to talk with you about the way we're connecting and it's not working for me because here's the space I'm coming from. So sometimes I need to do that to help somebody stop. If, if I think they're going to do harm to someone or somebody else. I, the, the, at those points, I will say stop and I will try to make a deeper connection with them by expressing what, what's happening within for me and, and making simple observations. So, yeah, so that, for me, that, that curiosity is a very young person. The path of the many saints and mystics and gurus and teachings that I came across led me to write the book. But more importantly, I see the book purely as a gift. I, it, it's merely one way to reach out and hold out a hand for help to say to people, I've needed help in my life. I want to reach out to you and offer some kind of help too. What do you need? How can I help? And here's my message of love. So that's fundamentally what the book is. I see books like uh, books like Clear Quiet Mind and Diary of a Yogi as being shifts in people's consciousness. In many ways, the, the fact that it's put in a book, I'm sure in, in the future there'll be many other ways of transferring this consciousness. But very simply, it is a shift when people read they might say, oh, I can do this, or I've had a dream like that. 
or I've had a visionary experience or I've had an awakening and they can touch that same shared heart and they can work a little deeper with their struggles or obstacles. And if the book has done that, then I feel that it's done its job. It's reached out with a message of love and it's offered some help. And that, that is purely why I'm here. The, the, I, I have a really deep altruistic intention to help myself and others liberate, liberate from the suffering, liberate from the, the unquiet and the unclear mind. So I, I, I mean, that's why I'm, I, for me, it's a great joy to be doing this interview with you because we, we share that same understanding of presence and awakening and love and compassion, wisdom, devotion, you know, uh, you and I and so many of our listeners are really devoted to this planet. They're, they're light workers. They're people who are awake and want to help. And sometimes people are just not quite sure how or where to help, how to reach out. So if you and I, through this interview, can touch many, many hearts that then say, oh, here's two people we can reach out to. They can perhaps help us a little more. And, and in turn, I hope that people I meet can help me. They, you've helped me tremendously by, you know, through, through the process of the Clear Quiet Mind. Um, you helped my wife and I when we read the book to go through a transformative experience. And it's the same with Diary of a Yogi. It's more about the trans transformation that happens when people read and they take in words that have a particular energy and a particular intention. And that intention is to bring a message of love and to reach out and help. Beautiful. Yes. Is there one simple practice that you could share with our viewers to help touch into that space of presence? Sure. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll give you a few minutes practice, a very simple practice of uh, awakening to the witnessing presence. And I'll get you and everybody that's listening or, and watching to gently first become aware of the spine. To have a straight spine is really important for the energies in your body. I'd like you to close your eyes with me. Very simply, become aware of the presence and the light in your body. Quite often we do this in a physical way to begin. Being aware of our feet, being aware of our calves and our knees and our thighs. Being aware of the whole pelvic area being aware of the stomach and chest, shoulders and arms, being aware of the neck and the face, the head. So when we're aware in that way, we're aware of energies that exist in our body. We become aware that as the energies settle, as we become still, that a different consciousness awakens. 
So we're going to begin by taking our awareness and attention to the breath, the breathing. I want you to allow the breath to rise and fall in the nasal passages, breathing in and out. Very simple breathing in and out. Become aware of the warmth in the nasal passages. Perhaps the coolness as you breathe in and the warmth as you breathe out. And as you breathe, become aware that there is a watcher or a witness of the breath. As you watch the breath, ask yourself, who is it that is watching the breath? Who is it that feels the breath in the nasal passages? When you feel that coolness, who is it that is feeling it? I am presence. That deep presence within, the divine presence, the witnessing presence, the watcher or the observer. Now let go of the breath. Allow yourself to enter into the stillness. As the Psalms say, be still and know God. And you're aware now of a stillness in your being. Watch the stillness now. Listen to the silence. Who is it that is aware of the silence? Who is it that is listening to the silence? Presence. The awakened presence. Become aware of this presence in your heart. Take your attention and energy and awareness to the heart space. Visualize in the heart a seed of light, size of a mustard seed. Imagine that your faith in the light of the mustard seed is great. And as you center in the heart, this light of the mustard seed begins to spread in love and in kindness out to fill your heart, out through the winds and channels and meridians in your body, out to fill the shoulder space, the arms, the torso, 
down the legs, the soles of the feet and up and into the brain to fill the head. Imagine that this light, the light of the single mustard seed shines out beyond the body into the room that this love and kindness embodied in the light fills your house, your neighborhood, fills the countryside, the mountains, the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, fills the space, fills the atmosphere, the entire planet, radiates with the light out into our solar system, the planets, out beyond our own solar system into other solar systems and other star systems and galaxies, out into the universe itself and then many universes besides and worlds and dimensions beyond that. The same one light that you share and I share the same one shared heart radiates light for all beings. I am presence, the divine presence within you, radiating the light of one shared heart. So slowly bring your awareness now back to the breath. As you become aware of the breathing again, become aware of the presence, the awakened presence that observes the breath, the witnessing presence, the light of one. Become aware that this light is the same consciousness that Christ talked about and the Buddha talked about. The Christ consciousness is alive in you. This consciousness, this deep, still presence is the same consciousness that Jesus used to touch and reach out to people and bring miracles into their lives by awakening this presence in them. Slowly bring your awareness and attention back to the room. And when you're ready, very gently, open your eyes. Namaste. Namaste. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you too. I believe our time is 
unfortunately drawing to a close. It's been a wonderful time listening to you and inspiring. And as I read your book, that same energy is alive in the book. And I felt hopeful and I felt joyful and I felt that there, there is hope for human beings and for our planet. And, uh, and uh, so I encourage everyone to, to read this book and find that hope and find that joy and love. And if you would just tell us to close up now uh, where this book is taking you now and what any new ventures you have. Mm, um, the, the, the latest new venture is Enlightened World with you, Kevin, and also with Ruth Anderson, Dr. Anderson, and with uh, a lot of other people that are coming to join it. I, I definitely encourage all of you listening, if you're light workers and you would be, like to be part of a much greater network of a way of reaching out to a, a greater number of souls, then please do join the Enlightened World Network. It is a really wonderful way of us all gathering and sharing and reaching out and touching people with presence and awakening and love. Uh, so the Enlightened World has been uh, a, a natural step and it is, is something that I am involved in, particularly um, gathering people, collecting people and helping people through things like meditation and also through their videos, through tr transformational practices, through some schools of transformation and also uh, through the YouTube network, which is also part of it, part of reaching out. So if you're a, a person that has YouTube videos and you would like to be part of an Enlightened World Network, we would love to have you. So that's been a lovely part. Um, as I've often said to Ruth, I, I see the Enlightened World Network as not really a thing. It's not, not a television channel. It's actually a way of souls gathering and uplifting uh, others into the light and assisting in awakening and presence on this planet and bringing love and compassion and wisdom and devotion to each other uh, through, through Enlightened World. So it's, it's very much a symbol for what is happening for us all and, and for the big shifts we feel. Thank you, Stephen. Mm, thank you, Kevin. It's been, been a great honor to talk with you. Been a great honor to talk with you too. Thank you very much. Thank you.